Please stand. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, conversing with him. Then Peter said to Jesus in reply, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud cast a shadow over them. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell prostrate and were very much afraid. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, and do not be afraid. And when the disciples raised their eyes, they saw no one else but Jesus alone. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, Do not tell the vision to anyone until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. So, as we were just sitting there in front of the Blessed Sacrament, I was thinking to myself, um, I would not rather be anywhere than I, where I am right now with all of you here worshiping the Lord on a Friday, especially Friday during Lent. It's just so joyful and good to be here. Kind of like what Peter was saying. It's good that we are here. And so, the Transfiguration is the Gospel for this Sunday, the second Sunday in Lent. And I'd like to just give a little reflection on the Transfiguration and the Liturgy. The Transfiguration and the Liturgy. And I'd like to use the story of the Transfiguration as kind of a a jumping off point for talking about the Mass. And bring us into a little bit of a, a meditation on what the Mass is and the beauty of the Liturgy. The Transfiguration is considered by the East like throughout its history, to be one of the most profound mysteries of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. So the life of Christ, the Transfiguration, is one of the main icons you'll see in the East. It has, there's many, many realities, um, and and there's just, there's such a, it's so rich, such a rich reality, such a rich event that Jesus shares with us. Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. So, for us as Catholics, we can kind of sometimes get into this state where we we just kind of go with the flow and we go to Sunday Mass, and we even tend to see Sunday Mass itself as our Protestant brothers and sisters do, which is not how we understand the Mass at all as Catholics. What we understand the Mass is, 
it's, it's, it's meaning is that this is a covenant renewal. This is a, this is a relational event which takes place with us. And it's actually what keeps us in this very special relationship with God, which we call the new covenant. And testament and covenant mean the same thing. And so if you were to read the old covenant, you could say this is the old testament or the old covenant. This is a book about the relationship that God have, has or had both with the people starting with Abraham all the way up to Jesus. And it continues to this day. And with the New Covenant, the New Testament, this is a relationship that God has shared with his people in a very special way. Our entrance into that relationship is baptism. So when we are baptized as Catholics, what happens is Christ starts to live in us in a way that he does not live in the non-baptized. And so God himself starts to dwell within us. We share in his very life. We're capable of a friendship with God that is very difficult to comprehend the gravity of. And so we see this very beautiful entrance where Jesus is taking Peter, James, and John up to this high place where they cannot go unless they are friends with Jesus. And so here we see this this humbling of God to bring us to himself into these deep mysteries which we could not go without him. Jesus is the one who gives us the entrance into these mysteries. It's by virtue of our baptism. And it's this friendship that he has with these three that he wants for all of us and that he does have with all of us. The heavens, of course, as he's going up the mountain, um, I won't spend too much time on this, but we know that this is a perspective and that mountains are all throughout the scriptures. It's the closest plate way that you can get to heaven, or it's the closest spot that you can be to heaven or to the heavens. Um, there's a perspective that comes from the mountain. These are beautiful places. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And so, here the apostles begin to get a taste of who Jesus really is, for maybe the first time. These three get the privilege of seeing him. The way that we talk about heaven, of course, is the beatific vision. We think about Moses and Elijah, who we'll hear about in a few moments. Moses and Elijah, of course, had these very intense, on mountains, Experiences with the living God, very privileged moments. And the beatific vision is us, and this is kind of the end goal of it all. The beatific vision is this intimacy and communion with the Holy Trinity that we'll have forever, and it will not ever get old. It will not ever get old. We will be with God. We will see Him directly. We do not see God directly now. And what these apostles are getting right here is a little glimpse. This, of course, is what we get at the Mass. The Mass is kind of a glimpse or a foretaste of that which is to come. It's a little taste of heaven. And so here I'd like to go a little bit into what the Mass is. This is from the Catechism. If you were to open it up and you went to paragraph 1362, I'm just going to read a couple paragraphs here, about five paragraphs, which lays out this really, really important concept, which is... Memorial. Raise your hands if you've heard the term memorial in a theological context. Okay. 
So you just listen here very closely. This is a, this is kind of a transformative understanding of what the mass itself is is meant to be. The Eucharist. Here they mean the Mass when they say the Eucharist. The Eucharist is the memorial of Christ's Passover. The making present, the making present here and now, and the, and the sacramental offering of his unique sacrifice in the liturgy of the church, which is his body. In all the Eucharistic prayers we find after the words of institution of prayer called the anamnesis or the memorial. In the, sacred, in the sense of the sacred scripture, the memorial is not merely a recollection of past events, but the proclamation of the mighty words of God wrought by God for men. In the liturgical celebration of these events, they become in a certain way present and real. This is how Israel understands its liberation from Egypt. Every time Passover is celebrated, the Exodus events are made present to the memory of the believers so that they may conform their lives to them. So in the Passover, if you were to sit down and celebrate the Passover with a Jewish family, they would be acting as though God himself were delivering them in that moment because they they believe that. They believe they're basically going back in time and participating in the actual Passover itself, which took place in Egypt all those years ago. In the New Testament, the memorial takes on new meaning. When the church celebrates the Mass, she commemorates Christ's Passover. And, and to understand why we call the events of Jesus' Passion, Death, and Resurrection Passover is kind of a different, it's a, it's a whole different reflection. Um, and that's very much kind of the essence of how we see what Jesus did. When we receive the blood and we eat the lamb, death passes over us, right? And the blood on the doorstep, we see the symbolism of the cross, the lamb, etc., etc., She commemorates Christ's Passover and is made present, the sacrifice of cross offered once and for all, and remains ever present. As the sacrifice of the cross by which Christ, our past, has been sacrificed, is celebrated on the altar, the work of our redemption is carried out. Because it is the memorial of Christ's Passover, the Eucharist is also a sacrifice. The Mass is also a sacrifice. We're going back to Calvary when we come to Mass. The sacrificial character of the Eucharist is manifested in the very words of institution. This is my body which is given for you. This is the cup which is poured out for you. It is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. In the Eucharist, Christ gives us his very body and blood which he gave for us on the cross, which is poured out for the many forgiveness of sins. The Eucharist is, the, is thus a sacrifice because it represents, that is to say, it makes present the sacrifice of the cross because it is the memorial and because it applies its fruit. Here's what the Council of Trent says. Our Lord and God was once and for all to offer himself to God the Father 
by his death on the altar of the cross to accomplish there an everlasting redemption. But because his priesthood was not to end with his death, at the Last Supper, on the night he was betrayed, he wanted to leave his beloved spouse, which is us, the church, those who are baptized, a visible sacrifice. As our nature demands, we need visibility. We need to see, touch, taste, feel. By which the bloody sacrifice which he was to accomplish once and for all on the cross would be represented. Its memory is perpetuated until the end of the world. And its power can be applied to the forgiveness of sins that we daily commit. The sacrifice of the cross and the sacrifice of the Eucharist, the Mass, the sacrifice of the Mass, are one single sacrifice. The victim is the one and the same. The same now offers through the ministry of priests who then offer himself on the cross. Only the manner of the offering is different. And since in this divine sacrifice which is celebrated in the Mass, the same Christ who offered himself once in a bloody manner on the altar of the cross is contained and offered in an unbloody manner. Okay. So I know that that's kind of a lot, but the thesis of that is every single time that we walk into Mass and we were celebrating the Mass as a body, as Christ's body, we are going back in time, so to speak, to the actual event of the crucifixion and receiving the graces that we would have received should we have been at the Last Supper, should we have been at the, uh, at the crucifixion on Calvary, should we have been at the tomb. Should we have experienced the risen Christ? And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, conversing with them. Here, again, in the symbolism of the Mass, what in the beginning of Mass we have the liturgy of the Word, where the Old Testament and the Psalm, which is Moses and Elijah represent, Moses is the law, Elijah is the representation for the prophets, They all conspire, all of history and all of the Old Covenant conspires towards the person of Jesus Christ. They foreshadow him. And we represent that in the liturgy. Then Peter said to Jesus in reply, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I think the symbolism here is kind of of interesting that Peter wants to build the tents Right of, of basically of heaven on earth. He wants to have a dwelling place there. And to a certain extent, all of us in the church right now, right throughout all of human history, still reside within the tent of Peter, which is the church. This is the place where we have an encounter and theophany with God within the church, within the Catholic Church, Peter being the first pope. And so Peter did, in a certain sense, get to set up his tent, and we, we, do, we do live and dwell in his tent where we experience the living God through the mysteries of the church. Peter often tries to grasp at the resurrection without acknowledging the way there. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud cast a shadow over them. And so here we're, we're thinking the cloud, as, uh, as Luke's account says, comes down upon all of them. So the cloud coming from the sky and it descends onto the mountain. A bright cloud cast a shadow over them, 
Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So there is, at the Mass, this is why we should use more incense, right? So to help with the symbolism there, that's my thought. Um, So the Mass itself is an encounter with the Holy Trinity. Jesus takes us to the Father. The reason that we really should be worshiping ad orientum, that is, we all face the same way towards the east, um, generally, but all facing the same way, right, so the priest not facing the people, but everybody facing the same way, is because the entirety of the Mass is a prayer towards God the Father. So it's a, it's a we are giving ourselves in obedience, Christ the head, uh, in persona Christi Capitas, that's the priest, is, is leading the body of Christ, Christ's body, and this is why older churches conveyed the reality of a cruciform. They're in, the, they're in the shape of the cross, right, because we're with Jesus on the cross, offering ourselves to him, uh, to the Father, in an act of obedience. We are then restored and glorified, and our identity is affirmed. This is, this is his beloved son. This is what the son does. He's obedient. Behold, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well whom I am well pleased. So this is this is how the mass is meant to be understood. It's unfortunate, and this is this has to do with this image of the transfiguration. Our churches, the way we celebrate our liturgies, you know, even just um, the clothes we wear, the vestments, the lack of representing the actual reality that is there, is a scandal to people. It makes people really not believe that. We're doing what we actually say we're doing. Just like it was a scandal for many to see the person of Jesus beaten up, bloodied on the cross. They, they're, this is not, it, where's your, you, you claim that you're God and here you are like this. And since the, really since the, the second Vatican Council in practice, but not because of the council, the council was beautiful and gave us a lot. But our practice has been poor in representing the reality of what we're actually doing. We need beautiful churches. We need beautiful music to convey the fact that when we walk into the church, we're entering into heaven for a few moments, like these guys, walking up. And then when we walk out, we feel full. Wow, I just had a taste of heaven. And the kingdom of God is made manifest within us. And so all the symbols and the signs, the incense, I was joking about it before, but it represents this reality that we cannot see God. God overwhelms us. He is totally other. This is a mystery. And so when we, we over, we, when we over accessible, when we have the desire to make Jesus overly accessible, um, we do ourselves a disfavor when we, when we kind of dumb down the liturgy. Now, God is very accessible. Uh, I'm not saying that. Jesus, is a, that's why he became a human being. But there is a balance between the mystery and the, um, the utter grandness of God, as well as the accessibility and the very normal um, normalness of God. And so I'll just kind of finish up here. When the disciples heard this, they felt prostrate and they were very much afraid. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, and do not be afraid. And when the disciples raised their eyes, they saw no one else but Jesus alone. And when they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, Do not tell this vision to anyone until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. 
And so, just as we're meant to as Christians, we come and we have this theophany, this little taste of God, where we're, we're tasting heaven, but we'll, what we'll actually taste for the rest of eternity. Um, but again, it's just a, it's a very dim taste. But we come into, if we can imagine ourselves, going into a beautiful church with a beautiful liturgy, and we're moved in our hearts. And we then go, then we come back the mountain with the Lord, and, and we go back out into the world, and we bring other people into that experience. Lord, we ask you to help us to have a deep affection and love for your liturgy and for the way that you have given us to encounter you as baptized members of the new and everlasting covenant. Help us to do a better job in the, in the church as a whole of improving the liturgy to help it to represent, uh, to help it to aesthetically represent what is actually what it actually is in reality. Um, we ask for the grace as an American church, especially in the Diocese of Joliet, to bless us and help us to lead others into the mystery that you have brought us into and help us to have the depth of friendship that Peter, James, and John have. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen.